After setting up the frame for reading and thinking about Spike Lee's cinema with a reflection generally about the, the conceptual framing and sort of black studies methodology, then some of the moral and political uh, questions that arise out of both Hollywood Shuffle and um, Bamboozled. I want to move on now and then sort of in these future pieces to something closer to a chronological accounting of certain Spike Lee films, not all of them, but um, his major films, starting with School Days from 1988. Now, School Days does come after She's Gotta Have It, which was a, a major film and is an important film to talk about in many ways. But I start with School Days because I think it's with School Days that we really see uh, some of the signature, if not most of the signature pieces of Spike Lee's filmmaking, both aesthetically and uh, some of his uh, political and narrative uh, challenges that he sets for himself and to which he is committed, uh, not to a particular conclusion, but to a certain set of questions. I say a certain set of questions because for me, a real key in thinking seriously about Spike Lee's cinema is thinking his cinema as made in the interrogative, as a series of asking questions rather than offering, offering uh, definitive answers or characterizations in terms of particular people on the screen or groups of people on the screen or uh, the ideological structure of conversations and narrative arcs. I think that rather than seeing him settling on a position or settling a characterization or settle, settling some sort of vertical account let's say in the case of school days of uh, black identity, I think Spike Lee is always working in the interrogative and that these characterizations say less about his belief structure than they do about um, the kinds of questions he thinks are important to ask. And therefore I think his cinema, uh, especially in these early days, uh, school days in particular, uh, he's making cinema that, that invites further cinemas, further reflections, further accountings of one and the same questions, or across the board, the same clusters of questions. Now, School Days, in that way, I think is very different than She's Gotta Have It, although it carries over with it some of the themes that I'll talk about in the next podcast piece on masculinity and uh, misogyny. But what I wanted to talk about first is what for me is perhaps an underappreciated, if not altogether um, uh, altogether uh, neglected theme in Spike Lee's cinema, which is the question of memory and history. I'll be coming back to this again and again in talking about his films, not only because it's my primary concern as a scholar and thinker and teacher, and, and in fact it is, the relationship between history and memory, but because I do think that this is where Spike Lee's films have real depth. And Spike Lee's films are in uh, many ways, not just moral and political documents, but also pedagogical. That is, he is trying to teach us something or to remind us of something. And that's where the questions of history and memory come up in school days. History in the sense of there are things that it is important for us to know. And memory in the sense of a worry, I think, that pervades Spike Lee's cinema and certainly uh, is at the beginning 
and this is what I want to talk about today, the opening sequence, the credits, uh, opening credits of school days, which is that it's important for us to have a living memory of that history, right? Or to have uh, uh, some sort of address to what he sees as endemic sort of structure of forgetting, not only in the nation, right, as a whole, and I think that this is a part of his filmmaking when he ventures into interracial spaces, but intra-racially, I think that is his primary concern, is always intra-racial, right? He does make, I think, black uh, films about black people for black people. And in making those films, he is less concerned with how he can signal a shared understanding than he is concerned with how he can signal a systemic forgetting, or at least the beginnings of forgetting, in order to reawaken a sense of memory and a sense of connection to history, a connection then in our living memory to black history as a way that is a kind of uh, prophecy from the past, right? That, and by what I, what I mean by that, a uh, uh, prophecy from the past is not that Spike Lee imagines himself to be a prophet, right? And I mean prophet here in the 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 um, the ancient sense of the prophet as someone who offers a vision, and what that that prophet draws from, whether it's God or in this case the lessons of of Black history who draws on something in order to question the king, right? In order to question um, the status quo, to, to question uh, the order of things. So the prophet is never here to uplift, but rather to break apart and rebuild based on some sort of vision. And I think history and memory are a really good way of thinking about the intersection there of the personal and the collective right, as well as the stretch of time in which something like to pick up school days, an historically black college or university, uh, where, where historical black colleges and universities reside, right, which is between the collective and the personal and exist across a stretch of time. So that brings me then to this uh, opening credits, the opening sequence of school days. You barely, in some ways, I think barely notice the fact that he's listing the names of, of everybody involved in the film, right? Uh, from the director, writer, um, to uh, actors, right? Just the, the thing you get in opening credits, typically. The sound is really important here, not just the image. The sound is a spiritual, and the spiritual is about building a home. And that spiritual is itself... Uh, an exercise in the relationship between history and memory, right? That it's an historical piece that has to be understood partly as an historical moment, right? Or what did it mean for enslaved or recently enslaved people, you know, recently emancipated, but also with the living memory of slavery, to sing songs about building a home, Right. That's the, the, those are songs that are passed through memory. They're not written down. They're not part of education systems. Um, and they only become institutional in this case in terms of, of the, the black intellectual tradition right, and aesthetic practices. It only becomes that in its passage through memory and very, very much later its entry into what we might think of as documentary or archival history. 
But the song singing about building a home is interesting. And I spend a lot of time with my students when, when we talk about this. You know, I, I ask them to, to think about it, and I ask myself as a viewer to think about it. How do I hear this invocation or this proclamation, really, not an invocation, but a proclamation of building a home? And what I mean by that is that it is both, uh, 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 what I take from that question is that it's both ironic but a very destructive kind of irony, right? It's ironic. It's like a, making a home in a place that has never wanted you to be a human, right? And, and homes are, are human, right? We can, we can extend beyond that, but I think just rhetorically, the structure of the word home for, for us is the link between full personhood and a sense of belonging in a place. What that place is, how that belonging takes shape, is part of the open question of world building. But to say I'm building a home is to say that this is where I belong as a soul, right? Not just where I belong in terms of my citizenship papers or my partial citizenship papers or in terms of sites of subjugation. It's an assertion of full personhood. So there's a kind of ironic character to it Right to proclaim a home in a place that never wanted you to be a full person here. But it's also, and more importantly, and maybe perhaps precisely because of this sort of ironic dimension, right, or this, this, this impossible uh, contradiction of declaring a home in a place that doesn't want you here as a full person, it is also, and most importantly, an act of radical resistance. And I say radical resistance and defiance, maybe is even a better word. Radical resistance or defiance, because like all things that are radical, it pulls up the roots of the world as we know it in order to grow or at least make the possibility of growing something new. The phrase burn it all down, we all know it, a lot of us say it, especially in moments of anger or an, an attempt to articulate our own kind of defiance. But that's always what radicalism is about. It's about burning down, it's about pulling up and what can take its place. And so even just the proclamation, right, building me a home, is already its own kind of radical act when we understand the historical and memorial dimensions of that. So the, the song itself, which is just so beautifully performed in the opening of School Days, is preceded by the sound of water and a bell ringing, right? Uh, uh, like from a, a dinghy, right? So there's an immediate just sonic evocation of the Middle Passage, right? What does it mean to have arrived here through the Middle Passage? right, by ocean. Well, what it means is, uh, you know, if, if, sorry, if what we were thinking about its meaning was simply sonic, you know, we may be over speculating, except that immediately the first image that comes to the screen is the most, you know, probably among the most famous uh, artifacts of, uh, in our memory of uh, the slave trade, which is the, the diagram of the belly of the ship with the bodies uh, diagrammed out to, to line and maximize uh, cargo portage, human bodies as cargo. And so 
that connection is what starts the film, the sound of water, the sound of the bell, the sound of a port in the belly of the ship. And what follows from that is a series of images that we could spend hours talking about, right? It is across the opening sequence, which while it is very short, it could easily be a multi, it feels like a multi-hour discourse because it's a story of black excellence. And it's a story of black excellence that is connected to the Middle Passage, to emancipation, and to resistance. And that takes multiple forms. The greats of African-American history, right? You see uh, Frederick Douglass, just an absolutely gorgeous uh, accounting by Spike Lee's camera of an elderly um, Frederick Douglass sitting in a chair. Right. That really, I think, taps into and, and directly directly gets us to the the astonishing, gigantic sort of presence in our history of Frederick Douglass, and then a whole series of other people: Paul Robeson, uh, Booker T. Washington, Marcus Garvey, um, Rosa Parks, right, Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis, Willie Mays. Martin Luther King Jr., Jesse Jackson. And across all of these images, we also have what I would call uh, subplots, right? Moments of, um, of, of juxtaposition. And Spike Lee's use of juxtaposition across his filmmaking all the way up through Black Klansman is just phenomenal. And, and, and it's part of how he puts a, a kind of interrogative and ambivalence into his films through series through a, a series of juxtapositions at key moments in the film that make the, the the ethics and politics of it work but in this case he's introducing the film and as he's introducing the film the juxtapositions are actually to see the expansiveness of certain certain forms right there's the the the, the diversity of black excellence right the scholarly uh, 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 vision of the college and uh, of higher education of the, the historically black college or university where he shows all of these shots of of um, of students right old black and white photos early 20th century photos and they're absolutely amazing because they show the dignity and the intensity right of the people who because school days is about an historically black college right we get to see you know sort of the predecessors to that moment and they're they're amazing photographs that he pulls and the way he captures them with his camera makes sure that we're fixated on the amazingness of them i don't know how else to put it but then there's also uh you know the and that by the way it sets up a juxtaposition that the whole film is right the whole film is a juxtaposition to this model of and photographic evidence of black excellence in the past. But also you see with Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali, you know, two of the greatest African-American boxers in history, if not the two greatest boxers, period, in American history. And you see their clenched fists, right? Because they're boxers. And they're, that's their sport, that's their profession, that's their craft. But then that's set right next to a group uh, of, of, of 
black teenagers who are holding black, uh, back a young black boy who has his fists clenched. And it pans out so that we see that he's lost control of, of his emotions, right? He's fallen into rage and to, to physical rage because he's confronting racist white people in the civil rights movement. It's an iconic photograph and an iconic question being asked, right? It's an iconic question being asked of, you know, where is rage, where is violence, where is dignity, where is um, uh, the source of black political excellence in that moment, right? It's in the feeling of rage and also the, the capacity to maintain the highest sense of one's humanity. As well, there's the, uh, and it's a line from the song when you hear me shouting, and there's shouting and he shows singers, right? And he shows Paul Robeson, right? And they're shouting the beauty of, of the African-American musical tradition. But then that shouting is also then uh, put alongside, it's not really a juxtaposition, except that it kind of is at an aesthetic level and in an important way. And that, that the shouting of the singer and its, its connection to the African-American uh, uh, musical and intellectual tradition is then, then, then he moves to Stokely Carmichael giving a speech and shouting. Martin Luther King Jr. giving a speech and shouting. And then it concludes with what looks like a shout or a cry of pain, a cry of outrage and resistance as a black man is being held and a white man, I believe this is in a protest against integrated bus, uh, uh, busing integration in Boston, where the white man is holding an American flag and trying to, to, to stab, it's a large flag, so it's like a large spear, uh, stab this black man whose face is, is curled in a, in, a, in a shout too. So when you, so when you see that those, those movements of the shout, right, from the musical tradition to the political rhetorical tradition to the voice of resistance, and he ends on that. He doesn't end on anyone famous. He ends on a famous photograph, but a common person. And what that does, and so this helps me segue into to the next piece I want to do on, on masculinity and misogyny and the next uh, you know, 15, 20 minute piece, is it allows Spike Lee to tell this story about black excellence, black resistance, and black refusal that goes all the way from the spiritual, right? From the, from the in, uh, fields in which enslaved people worked and died and sang and created tradition. He links it from there across everything from sharecroppers to and, 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 and their defiance and their insistence will make a home here on this land where we were enslaved to black laborers, to uh, black students, to black leaders, to black philosophers and politicians, and all the way then through that to the very end, a common person right, being all but, but crucified, right, being threatened with death with an American flag, and the meaning of the American flag is such an important theme across the cinema, which reminds us, and I think this is Spike Lee's most, uh, uh, you know, emphatic point in this opening, reminds us that all of this black excellence 
is present in the Frederick Douglasses and the Martin Luther King Juniors and the Malcolm X's of the world. But it is also everyday people, that there is a continuity there of greatness and moral uh, righteousness. That is, every single person in those photographs who is black is on the right side of history. And that we need to both remember that, right, to know that, but also that that knowing and that memory is not about the recognition of the past, it's an orientation toward the future. And that orientation towards the future, or even just the present that then becomes the future, is the segue into the film. And I think it is amazing for me, and what I, what I think is most um, jarring about the, the introductory piece to School Days, is that accounting through the spiritual and sound and the images, the photographs of black excellence, black leadership, black refusal, and black resistance, the grandeur of that is then a quick cut, right? Just a sharp, abrupt cut to a screen that says Friday. So it's moving from the amazing arc of history to one day on one campus with just a dozen or so people. And so that sets both a sense of continuity that Friday and black history are and memory are not separate, right? That Friday and the entirety of what he just showed us and tried to make us hear in the spiritual is inseparable from Friday. It's not some thing that's packed away or only to be sort of, you know, recognized on a holiday. It builds right up to the day, Friday. But with that, it's not only to show a continuity, but to show the moral gravity and weight of black history that then we have to hold partly in our heads as viewers as we watch the pettiness and the small-mindedness and the often uh, really vicious cruelty of what happens on this campus between black people. The campus does not have, and the story of the campus has almost nothing, very, very little, almost nothing to do with any white people. And that's where Spike Lee wants the moral horizon of what he's shown us in the intro, to haunt, to be a ghost in everything we see, but a ghost who's not there to scare us or to crater us or to divert us, but to remind us. It's a ghost as a sort of uh, moral instructor to take us along through what School Days tracks in its main body of film in terms of the intra-racial conflicts around gender and sexuality and class and, and national and international questions of blackness. To, as we go th move through that, to always be haunted by this ghost who says again and again, there is something greater in our history than what is happening here. What then that means to the main question or main uh, imperative of the film is the very end, wake up. We can't understand the end of the film, Wake Up, without really appreciating, and that's why I've spent so much time talking about it, without appreciating everything that happens in this introduction. Because everything that happens in this introduction is the moral and political and ethical horizon in which the body of the film takes place. And all of our assessment has to answer to that intro and its moral, ethical, and political horizon.